everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Brokelhammer. So, on today's live stream, I welcome back Fan Thane from Tidal Gardens. What's up there, Than? Not much. How are you guys? Pretty good, pretty good. Welcome back to the show. And thanks, everybody, for uh, for tuning in there. I see uh, some familiar faces out there or, or some familiar screen names out there. And as always, please um, feel free to ask questions and contribute to the discussion via the chat. So uh, for folks that don't know Than, let me just give a little brief uh, bio on Than. Than is the founder and owner of Tidal Gardens, a coral reef aquaculture business located in Copley, Ohio. He's also an author and contributor to several reef keeping industry publications. Besides being a passionate entrepreneur, Than is a licensed attorney, has a master's in business administration and juris doctor from the University of Akron, and a bachelor of science in biology from the University of Michigan. But before we start speaking with Than, I want to thank the sponsors for the show, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate their support of the show and I also appreciate all you folks out there tuning in and supporting the show as well. So Dan, how's it going in uh, in Ohio out there? How's the winter been? Has it been uh, kind of a mild winter? It's been sort of mild here in Vermont. It's been super schizophrenic. So it's either very warm, 60 something degrees, or it's been uh, ice storms and blizzards. So I got a, uh, I got a tractor to clear my driveway. Mm because uh, my driveway is actually very large, like a big parking lot sort of thing. So I had to get a tractor. And I got a snow broom for it. And I honestly thought that we were having such a mild winter that I was like, maybe this was just an overkill thing because I don't even know if I'm going to be using it. It's so warm. And then all of a sudden, the first real day of snow was like 14 inches. Yeah. And that snow just melted. It's been like two months. You know, um, Similar situation here in Vermont. It's been very schizophrenic. We've um, we had about a half an inch of rain the other day. We we had a big storm of about uh, 20 inches of snow, and that's pretty much like all melted away. But now tomorrow we're supposed to get like another uh, 12 to 16 inches of snow. So uh, yeah, you know, it. Uh, I'm a big skier, so I'm digging the snow. But it's been uh, kind of slim pickings in terms of um, you know the entire season. So you know you got to kind of roll with it. I'm kind of over it. You're over it? I could, I could, I could do without the more snow bits, but I think we're supposed to get some tomorrow. You know, the snow and the ice and whatnot, that's not good for uh, for business, right, in terms of shipping. Do you guys have to kind of uh, watch that stuff? Yeah, so we have to, to look at what we're seeing right here to make sure that the planes can get out of Cleveland. We also have to, like, make sure that um, the UPS hub is clear and then we have to like look at where the customer is as well. So when like the weather gets really bad, uh, our shipping uh, schedule has to compress sometimes down into like a two uh, to three day window only during the week. And that can get really congested. So like uh, a bad day would be like having to, to squeeze in like 50 boxes to go out. That would be very stressful. But yeah, sometimes you have to hit these hit these windows when they come. All right, so we've got some familiar uh, folks out there. I see uh, Wade Riles, Reef Builders. Jake Adams is in the house watching. He's up there, Jake, YouTube Reefer, Reef to Sea Forever. Uh, Rob, Upstate New York, thanks again for tuning in. Yeah, you know, um, 
weather, it's uh, so. Do you guys use uh, UPS or FedEx, or do you use both? We use UPS right now. We use both in in at different times, but right now we're getting um, probably the best results from UPS. Yeah, I've um, I've had some um, dicey experiences with with FedEx, so I think um, UPS, knock on wood, has um, definitely been more reliable. But what do you, what do you um, what do you see in terms of the last um, six to twelve months in terms of shipping? You know, with everything that's been going on with COVID and and um, the shipping companies just really being, um, you know, jamming and and fuel prices and and uh, pilots being uh, potentially out sick because of COVID. Have you noticed anything the last six to 12 months? Uh, I have to say that like, e even though um, I don't think that any of the carriers are, are perfect, yeah. uh, UPS has done a really good job of kind of like isolating a lot of the problems and kind of containing it. So, cause I, I don't import, but I know that um, I, I do talk to, to folks that do import and they are st struggling to find flights. Mm. So sometimes like what used to be a delay would be a couple hour delay. They would have to, to move their stuff to a different to a different flight that same day. But now a delay might mean 72 hours mm. like their 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 cargo is getting bumped for days now. And they, they really have to, to, to fight with all the carriers to make sure that they can get their stuff on any flight. So the, the import guys, I think, are seeing a lot more um, distress than, than I am. But uh, where I guess where I see it is the, the cost of shipping is so shockingly high. Yes, it is. And, and we keep our, our, our pricing um, fairly like, consistent. So we kind of like shield that, that drama from like, the end customer because the end customer doesn't really care. So we charge like uh, a flat rate, like twenty nine ninety nine, and it's free over two fifty, right? But if you guys actually saw our shipping bills, it's soul crushing. It's uh, it's it's killing me. I'll tell you that much. You know, and that's just the shipping cost. Then you've got the uh, the box boxes that you got to pay for <laughs> heat packs, um, right. the things that you're packaging the corals in. I, I noticed that when you guys did your, um, you just did an updated video on YouTube about your facility, and I saw that um, you guys are are expanding your shipping. Uh, space mm -hmm. and and I also noticed that you guys use specimen cups to mm -hmm. um, to pack um, frags you know so everything kind of like adds up in terms of that cost and and um, it's not uh, yeah I'm I'm um, kind of wondering when that uh, that bubble will burst and hopefully shipping it might not. it might not it right I just might just be like the the, the new normal I, shipping has never been cheap. Like that, that's, that's another, I guess, misnomer. I think that like early on, I guess when the rates were lower, we were doing lower volume. So, um, I mean, just to, just to throw some numbers out there, like an average box might cost 35 to $50, you know, back in the day. Now that same box might cost 50 to a hundred dollars, depending mm -hmm. on, on where it's going and how big it is. Yeah. So yeah, like, so the people that are getting free shipping at $250, like, I am subsidizing a hundred dollars of that in some cases. Like it's like the the yeah. I think that people just don't see you know that that aspect of like the cost of shipping, but that's the cost of doing business for for online um, livestock. But yeah, like I think I think my my UPS bill for last week. We're just talking the last week. 
was almost seven thousand dollars. Holy smokes, seven thousand yeah. dollars! And and wow, so that's uh, that's that, that, that messes you up when it comes to spend money on anything else because <laughs> it desensitizes you, and you're like, oh, that that bill's not a big deal because shipping was seven thousand dollars. And you're probably getting a big bulk rate out of that too. Oh, we're getting like Godfather tier inside. <laughs> like basically, our rates have to be approved by corporate. Like our rep has to take it all the way up the ladder to get it approved. Wow. And still, it's shocking. That's expensive. that's sick. That is just. Yeah. And it's you know what they're gonna get higher because gas prices are uh, getting a little higher right now. Yeah, it, it's also fairly common for um, for price hikes with FedEx and UPS. Like, well, like every other year, every so many years, they'll be like, okay, rates are going up five percent. It's like five percent. Okay, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I mean, and and there's really not much you can do. I mean, you know, you gotta kind of uh, go with next day air or whatever if you're using uh, UPS. I mean, if you if you go with that next tier down, so to speak. And try to save a little bit of money and have it uh, there by the end of the day. Then I think you're kind of um, playing around with a little, uh, you know, that's risky in terms of it getting there that day. Yeah, and I think with the with the cost of corals going up, if some, for example, if I sell a home wrecker, right? Home wrecker frags are, I don't even, I don't even know what we're charging, three hundred something. Let's just say, um, if all of the nickel and diming you've done to try to like cut down five ten dollars per box going out. If one home wrecker frag dies, yeah. All of that savings that you were trying to like scrape off, it's it it's all gone to, to recoup the, the value of that coral. So what we've kind of just done philosophically here, it's like, no, we will overpack to try to minimize like losses like that. So yes, it costs more to ship, but the, I, I don't want to hear about DOAs. That's not, that's just the worst. Right. So you're talking basically about a um, a package of um, you know frags that that arrive and maybe <clears throat> out of ten you get one or two that um, just flame out and you have to cover that cost. Yeah. What so uh, you mentioned the overpacking? What uh, what kind of what kind of overpacking are you talking about? Just larger boxes, um, double heat packs. What are some of the uh, best practices that you guys use for shipping? So I, I guess like nothing really beats a volume, a volume of water. Yeah. Uh, the least amount of water that we send anything in is four ounces, which is like a, a specimen container about that big. But uh, if there's room in the box and if there's a coral that we know appreciates more volume, like Acropora, for example, uh, we will we will bag that and that'll get like, you know, eight to 12 ounces instead. And that really helps with survivability. Um, but the weight that that increase, uh, that manifests big time yeah. after a while. And if you're bagging several corals into that box, yeah, it's, it's going to cost you. But at the same time, once again, it's like, I don't want to hear about Walt Disney's and home wreckers dying. <laughs> it's like pack extra if you need to. Um, also with heat packs, yes, more heat packs is good. And, uh, more space in the box for air helps just because, uh, the heat packs, they require oxygen for their reaction. And so you can actually um, suffocate your heat packs by, by putting them in too small of a container, and they'll just run out of air, essentially, and they'll stop burning. So, like, yeah, unfortunately for your shipping bill, bigger boxes, more water volume, more heat packs all help. <laughs> 
Yeah. Signal boxes can help, but it's it's a little less great than it might seem. Like a, a lot of our boxes are about an inch and a half thick, but I don't know. Do you I'm on the do you try to um, steer customers in the direction of having a package help or pick up at a UPS customer center? Because I, I, I try to I try to do that because um, that way it's it's saving the coral one less leg of the journey. It's not going to have to get back onto a delivery truck and then bounce around from whatever hub you know it flies into to the um, you know through the neighborhood. It it could go to that customer center and and. You know, most of the time it's going to be available there sooner for pickup versus uh, making it out to the actual customer's house. Is that something that you guys um, try to push or not really? We do it on request and it sounds super reasonable. And generally speaking, I think it's good practice. However, I have to share with you like a crazy story. Uh, just this past week, we received a box. It's one of our boxes unopened and it was from an order placed in early December what? because this person had their box held at a UPS store <laughs> and they never went and got it Eesh. so after two months they sent it back to me <laughs> they luckily there wasn't a lot in the box but needless to say two months in the winter did not survive <laughs> so uh, yeah all right I, I assume that uh, the, uh, the the DOA policy uh, did not apply to that uh, that order the person never even contacted us really? to say oh by the way uh, I I didn't get the box or nothing heard nothing from that customer um, but you know, we we're more forgiving than we should be on, on a lot of the DOA claims there's a few DOA claims where it's like the people are just putting their address wrong. Oh, really? Multiple times. Yeah. Well, yeah, that shouldn't be on the vendor. Yeah, well, a lot of stuff shouldn't, but we, we try to cover people. Jake is saying, I've had packages held at location dropped off at a Walgreens. Huh. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting... Uh, Interesting place to drop a package off. Um, so let's let's jump to a question from from the viewers, but I also want to kind of continue um, asking you some of my questions, uh, Than. But um, uploads by Tom, hi from the UK. Is there anything in the realm of retank automation either of you guys think is missing, or anything along those lines? Love your content. Wish um, you shipped to us. Ha ha. So in terms of tank automation, then what um, I know you guys don't um, don't do a lot in terms of you know with the automated monitors and automatic um, controllers and monitors and stuff. You're you're starting to play around with that stuff, but starting to yeah. How um how heavy are you into you know automation? Uh, right now, I would say that we're in the in the just monitor and let me know what you think the values are sort of phase. Uh, the closest we, we really get to actual control is we just hooked up Ozone for the first time on one of our systems. And so we, we have an ORP probe and like a Neptune system that would then control the, um, the Ozone generator when it reaches a certain ORP level. Uh, short of that, everything is just monitoring. And we just, we just, we just want to see what, what the sensors think is going on. Um, as far as what is missing, 
Hmm. I mean, I don't think that it, it exists, or maybe I just don't know of the product, but maybe like knowing phosphate and nitrate levels on a daily basis might be nice. Yeah, I mean, the um, <clears throat> I think the Trident measures nitrate. I know the Ion Director. Trident um, does? I, does it? There's... No, that, that one, well, uh, the one that we have only does calcium, alkalinity, magnesium. All right, so I, I know there's another one out there that does uh, nitrate. I know that mm. the Ion Director that's uh, just been released by GHL does measure nitrate, but phosphate is one that I agree with you. I don't think there's any um, automated monitors that monitor uh, phosphate, and that's just um, the nature of the beast in terms of measuring that. It's it's such a precise uh, measurement. Oh, Jake, thank you very much for that super chat. Would uh, love to hear okay. some calcium reactor discussion, please. <laughs> we could do that. We could do that. But um, yeah, no, I agree with you. It, it would it would be great to have the um, the automated phosphate uh, monitoring, but um, I think that's that's going to be a real tough nut to crack. Crack, from what I understand. Yeah, right now we're um, we're just testing for it with with Salifer tests. Um, one of our guys is, is just very particular when it came to nitrate and phosphate because historically we haven't been like I I couldn't possibly could not care less. But um, but he credits a lot of, of beneficial core coloration to kind of like specific levels, whereas like philosophically, I'm more about keep your levels steady, even no matter what they are, keep them exactly there and you will have plenty of success. But uh, I can't really argue with the results like our SPS right now are looking really good. Yeah. And it's because I think that he really tried to dial in about 20 parts per million nitrate and about 0.05 phosphate and, and try to keep it rock solid there. So, I mean, the, the results are there, so I'm not going to you know, argue too, too much about it just for the sake of arguing. Um, so, all right, a couple of folks have uh, commented that uh, the, Master, the Mastertronic does measure phosphate, but I, I, I kind of think that that's an exception because if I'm not mistaken, the Mastertronic basically takes, I think doing a, test takes a hobby-grade test kit and yeah does that measurement. So it's not lab grade measurement. It's, it's, it's a hobby grade. It's basically whatever hobby grade test kit you have for phosphate and Mastertronic's doing the, uh, the work for you. That's mm. my understanding. Um, yeah, which is all, which is all we're, we were doing anyway, I guess. Right. Right. It's just, you don't have to do the actual physical work, which is kind of nice. I mean, I hate, I hate doing the manual labor of measuring that calcium and magnesium and nitrate and the, uh, and the phosphate. So, um, yeah, you know, in, in terms of what, what I would like to see in terms of automation, I'm, I'm similar to you, man. I, I'm not a big, um, automation guy. Um, I utilize my controller to monitor and, and my cage director to monitor. I don't let, um, those devices do anything really to the tank other than alert me to any issues that are going on. So, uh, I, I just think, you know, and, and, you know, some people like to do a lot of automation. I think it's a little risky because you've got, um, you're, you're sort of relying on something that you might not have, you know, there, there could be issues with the measurement measurements that mm -hmm. it's taking. There could be a couple of hiccups. And I know that these devices have, um, safeguards built in to avoid making decisions based on hiccups that, um, possibly can happen, but I don't know. I don't totally trust those safeguards. Personally. Yeah, 
I think where where they really shine though is if you have to travel. Yes. That to have something like that in place is good. It's it's. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of automation could be boiled down to it's it's better than nothing. Right. <laughs> Which in some cases you're about to get nothing. Right. Um, yeah. I I um I do stress out when I go on vacation. And I, and I certainly want to make sure that all my uh, things that I have set up to monitor the tank are, are doing that correctly and that um, I get, you know, I can get my alerts through my phone if something is out of whack. Um, you know, I don't have a person that knows reef keeping too well that is usually the house sitter. So right. it's um, definitely a little nerve wracking to, to go and to leave pretty much a, a noob you know, behind to tend to stuff right. that could possibly happen. But I've talked about this before on, on the show. I have, um, I have a lot of, I got a couple of webcams. I got one live 24 seven webcam set up on my 187 gallon tank. And I also have a, um, a, a nest cam. So the live webcam is on YouTube and, mm-hmm. and I use this I network IP, um, camera. And then I have a nest cam on my sump. So it's like my sump cam. But, gotcha. um, do you guys, I mean, you're you're heavy actually before before you go to to the other topic i do want to like throw this out there just for the crowd um i think that if you're talking about just like one aquarium go as heavy into automation as you feel comfortable because there's a look at there are a lot of benefits to it uh there is one issue when you're talking about scaling automation to something that's my size or larger is that uh, the amount of effort that it's going to take you to make sure that all of your automation is working properly is almost as much as the automation is doing on its own for you. So, uh, for example, um, we have a, currently we have a total of seven systems, the smallest of which is a thousand gallons. So anything that happens to one of these systems is going to be a problem, right? Yeah. So we have, like I said, seven current systems. We're putting up an eighth system that is t- another 2,500 gallons. So that is the, uh, the opportunity for eight different automation systems right there. And if I was doing it properly, I would actually double up on the automation of the testing of certain things that I care about with a different technology. So if I liked Neptune Trident, for example, I would have eight Neptune Tridents. Mm. And then have it be double checked by something like an Alcatronic on each system. But so ignoring the initial cost of that level of automation, right, 16 testers. Now you're talking about making sure the reagent levels are right and also the calibration is right across all those devices. That is a full-time job suddenly. Yeah, it is. So, but for for one home aquarium, go crazy. (laughs) But at scale, it's like... I don't know. Yeah, commercial scale. How do you do that? I mean, you're you're not even like talking about maintenance of the peristaltic pumps. You know, I mean, that's that's um, you know, I, I do maintenance on my peristaltic pumps every like um, three four weeks, just to make sure that the um, that you know the the, the pump heads are clean. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if you get equipment malfunctions and stuff, then you know, so the more stuff you have, yeah, the more work it is. But yeah, right. And- because it, cause it, if, it's, uh, if it's reading out of spec, then all of a sudden all that data that you're collecting is useless. You can't trust it. So it has to be maintained. Um, yeah, that can, be, that can be really challenging for sure. And, and the other good thing about what you guys have going on there is that you always have somebody eyes on the systems. So if, um, if you do 
you know, have an issue, then observation is always the, um, the best way to kind of pinpoint if there's any trouble going on. Right. Definitely. You know, yeah. But currently we do have like some controllers that are like brand new in box that we just haven't been able to, to install because we just know that our mental bandwidth isn't such that we could put this thing together, make it work properly and keep it working properly. It's like, Nope, not right now. So it, it sits there on the shelf. So I mentioned, um, live webcam. Have you guys ever thought about putting a live webcam on maybe like the SPS show tank or something or, or the facility? And so, so the whole world can watch you guys 24 seven. No, <laughs> you don't want that. You're probably, probably going to see like a hostile work environment type stuff. No, it's, it's uh, well, you know, okay. A long time ago, we did have like a, a webcam on one of the tanks and it eventually just ended up in the water. Oh no. <laughs> they just never did it again. Well, you know, they do make one of these submersible webcams, so you can just uh, kind of like have it in the ta- in tank. But I can o- I can only imagine that would be a major hassle to uh, to maintain. It's better than did, it's better than showcasing a hostile work environment, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> just to have an in tank webcam. <laughs> so, all right, Jake wants to talk about calcium reactors. You you guys probably have a few of those in your facility. I'm I'm assuming that you're using calcium reactors on all your um, seven different systems. Yep. Right now we have we have calcium reactors on every single one. Um, like currently we're using geos. Um, yeah. When when it comes to calcium reactor design, I, I just look for like the ones that are the easiest to maintain and the ones that come apart the most, so you can actually get in there and clean. Yeah. All the parts. What um what do you guys um what do you what do you feel about a a dual chamber reactor versus a single chamber reactor? I've got I've got both on my um. Two, I've got two different systems. <clears throat> so I've got a Reef Octopus um, single chamber on one, and I've got a Reef Octopus uh, dual chamber on another. And the one with the uh, the dual chamber, the pH is actually running higher than the one with the single, but Makes sense. the single chamber one is supporting a, a very mature SPS-dominant tank. So the demand for calcium and alkalinity is a lot higher on that single um, chamber versus the uh, versus the double chamber. But do you do you think the second chamber could potentially make a difference in terms of helping to elevate the pH since it can absorb excess yeah. CO2. Yeah, and I and I also think it's just another relatively inexpensive way to um, just to add more media to that entire system. So, um, so for example, in in that high demand situation, uh, that second chamber, it's not. Quite white as good as another calcium reactor but it's close i mean it's it's 70 percent of one certainly yeah and the other really nice thing um that we just so backing up just a little bit we were using um arm aragonite reactor media and we didn't realize that it was so high in magnesium uh, it's written on the retail packaging, but we buy the bulk packaging, which has no labeling. <laughs> so Oops. it turns out, and we were like, we were getting sky high magnesium, like off the charts, like over 1500, over 1700, who knows? But we were getting very high magnesium. Couldn't figure out why until I actually looked up a picture of the packaging and it's like, Oh, it's the high magnesium formula. Okay. So what we've done now is we have our main, uh, reactor chamber. Uh, that is now using the Two Little Fishies product, the Reborn. And then our secondary reactor, the, the reactor chamber, is using the ARM. And then so we 
we modulate the amount of the the arm media in the second chamber just to see uh, like where the magnesium like levels off at about you know fourteen hundred ish. I am doing the exact same thing in my dual chamber reactor. I'm using the reborn in the main chamber, and mm. I'm using the uh, the arm in the um, in the second chamber. And I used to use arm many many years ago. You know that was like my go to media for uh, for calcium reactors. But apparently they changed the formula a few years ago, mm. and the melting point for the uh, the pH melting point is actually apparently a lot lower than it is. Um, years ago and i think that's because um mm -hmm. the um whatever that the, i don't think it's coral skeleton anymore it's a different type of um material that they're using versus the original formula so i i kind of like i bought a whole bunch of that stuff you know a couple of years ago because i was like i loved it when i used it mm -hmm. and then i found out they changed it with the uh with the lower uh, ph melting points i'm like all right you know what i'm gonna just use it in the second chamber and <laughs> just use the reborn in the in the first chamber well, reborn's changed now too. Yes, reborn is different. So I, I think it's just one of those things where it's a it's a natural product. You have to be kind of aware and and willing to kind of adjust with it. Um, it, it it's naturally sourced. It's 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 such a different product. You just have to to figure out what it is whenever it shows up. I guess. Um, what about um, your pH in your systems? What does that typically run at? Eight-ish, between eight and eight point three. Eight, eight point three. Now, when you're running your uh, calcium reactors, do you also uh, use Kalkwasser? Are you uh, supplementing with? No. Them? So I, so philosophically, I really like Kalkwasser. In practice, at my facility, it is going to cause a disaster at some point. It's just one of those things that is it is just not uh, process friendly for a staff. And I'm guilty of that, too. Like, if it was just me and my home aquarium, it'd be fine. But even me, like, just walking by and starting a dose that was uh, not properly mixed, I've done that. And so I can't even just blame it on my on my staff. It's like, no, I've, I've done that. <laughs> I've chemically burned an entire system of, of, of corals because, you know, I've been sloppy. So I, I think that in for, for our environment here, it's like, uh, you know, a calcium reactor, you can't really mess that up. You're not going to singe all your corals with a calcium reactor, but but with calc you can do a lot of damage really quickly. So we kind of stay away from it. And and you know it sounds like you're uh, you don't have a pH issue. I know you have a very um, um, intricate and robust HVAC system, air exchange units, right? So you're you're getting a good amount of fresh air inside mm -hmm. the facility even in the winter time, right? Yeah, it's it's all basically fresh air all the time. So yeah, that that's. That's going to be pretty uncommon, uh, but yeah. So if you're if you're like having a tank in a basement on a very very tightly um, sealed up house, I, I could see where something like Calquasa would really help uh, boost pH. Yeah, I um, that you're describing what my situation is here. I have my tanks in a um, in a finished basement. I mean, I do have windows, but obviously in the winter time, those windows are, are shut tight. Mm -hmm. So I did add a uh, an air exchange unit. Uh, a couple of years ago, and that actually increased the uh, the pH by, by 0.2 pH points, which is pretty significant, you know. But I also mm -hmm. um, do use uh, Cockwasser in addition, you know, to um, to help in terms of the evaporated water. So, you know, my pH in one system runs from like 8.3 to, to 8.4, and the other system like 8.1 to 8.4, sometimes to 8.3. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the um, the elevated pH certainly helps in terms of the SPS. Um, yeah, and and calc uh, seems to have like some mystical properties or something, but it it's really really good for a reef aquarium. Like I've, I, um, so like I said, we don't use a lot of calc here, but I remember uh, suggesting it to um, to one of my friends because he was just trying to like make a very very simple system. And he was just like, okay, I'm just going to do water changes in calc. And sure enough, his tank looked absolutely fantastic. Like a lot of the stuff that we had sold him just looked simply better than what we were doing out at the farm. And all he was doing was just water changes in calc. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I think that um, it, it seems to be like making a comeback, Kalkwasser. It used to be, you know, years and years ago, it was uh, something that a lot of people, um, you know, have done and did. And now, um, you know, I've, I've had... Chris Meckley on a couple of times and he's kind of perfected the, uh, the Kalkwasser method. And, um, I've kind of mimicked what he's done in, in terms of using, uh, I've got a, um, a 30 gallon drum that I have, um, RODI water in that I've got Kalkwasser that's, uh, you know, super saturated in that. And so it's not being stirred up or anything or, or, um, you know, with a, uh, recirculating pump, I'm just essentially got my, um, dosing pumps that are drawing from it and, and, you know, the, the trick is to, to replace what you're evaporating during the overnight hours to, uh, to help elevate okay. the pH. And it's, yeah, been working pretty well. I know there's a lot of folks out there that have been into this whole uh, caulk uh, slurry method. I, uh, no, I'm good on that. Yeah, I, um, that whole thing scares me. But, but the folks that uh, are doing it are, are um, you know, saying that it's perfectly safe and no long-term effects in terms of the uh, damage to the aquarium. But I don't know. I have to look more into that to, uh, to make my own uh, judgment in terms of whether or not that's something I would ever want to do, but I doubt it. Yeah. That sounds a little scary for me. Melanie Simpson, many thanks for that super chat. Great stream, Keith. I appreciate that. So, uh, Than, you, you mentioned, uh, ozone. And mm-hmm. speaking of some scary stuff, ozone is, is sort of scary if, if um, you have a, um, I don't want to say an accident, but if I guess if something happens with it, it, it could be, it, it, it could not be a good thing to be exposed to, right, ozone? I've heard a lot of, I asked a lot of questions to not just like the manufacturers of the, of the ozone generator device, but um, one of the, um, I guess... I don't, know, I don't know if it's a plumbing company. I'll call them a filtration company because they, they, they were the ones that did our RO system and they do like municipal wastewater treatment plants and the whole, the whole gamut. And so they're very knowledgeable about ozone as well. And so I was asking them all kinds of questions. Um, I think that the, that the human risk of ozone is vanishingly small. Um, it, it has like a... I, for lack of a better word, like a, a half-life of about 20 minutes. Mm. And for you to actually get lung damage of any kind, because the supposedly ozone, if you breathe it in, it reacts with your lung tissue and might damage your lungs. Because uh, ozone is highly, highly reactive. It really wants to interact and break down organics. So uh, the other thing that I heard is that ozone is heavy because it's being O3. And so it wants to dive towards the floor. So especially in my facility, the lower floor is 10,000 square feet. This little ozone generator is never 
going to pump out so much ozone that it's going to like fill this entire uh, place to the point where people are going to be having problems with breathing. So I, I guess like, like my, my fear of um, like the, the risk to humans and everything like that is basically zero. Uh, I was more worried about it doing something crazy in the tank though. Mm. Uh, just because I wasn't really sure how all that interaction goes, and we've only been using it for about a week now, and uh, we haven't we haven't even got the ORP to where it's really supposed to be that effective. But it, it's climbing there slowly. We're we're being super conservative about that. Nothing good happens in reef keeping quickly, right? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so why uh, why use ozone after all these years? What uh, what's the uh, the hope? I uh, I really 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 want to try to get that ultra clear water look. Um, our tanks uh, in, in the new building, they're very clean looking, but if we uh, like hook up um, activated carbon, we can tell. I mean, it, it's, it's abundantly clear that just regular old activated carbon does so much to polish up that water. Yeah. Um, and it, it looks like it's even like removing the particulates in the water. Like it does such a good job. And I think that on larger systems at scale, ozone does something similar and possibly even more effectively than carbon. And so I'm, I'm really doing it for that aesthetic. And I guess a side benefit is, I guess it completely um, removes the odor from the water. Mm. And I don't think that I have a, the, a problem with the, the odor, but I'm always kind of curious to see like, well, I wonder what that's like. And <laughs> if it happens to remove the odor too, great well if you're gonna remove the odor from the skimmer that would be awesome well since you're pumping it into the skimmer it kind of does oh, does it gotcha mm -hmm. yeah so so that's you want to put ozone into something that's going to be sucking air in right so usually that's the air intake of a protein skimmer so would you be running are you guys running activated carbon still in addition to the uh to the ozone or have you taken that offline um, we only run activated carbon when we're doing something else that might be a little bit funky. Like if we start to like dip a whole bunch of corals and we want to make sure that the residue from the dip uh, gets like sucked away. So we'll, we'll run like a new batch of carbon in a reactor, things like that. But we haven't been running um, activated carbon like 24-7 for a while. What about UV? Do you guys run UVs on your uh, systems? We do, but they're, they're small units, relatively speaking. They're the 80-watt Pentair units. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, for systems our size, they really should be like double or triple that size. But I do notice a difference um, just with our undersized UV units. We run um, water through the UV and then into our protein skimmer. Um, the other thing that the guys at Ozotech told me is that if you really want to get rid of ozone, uh, you would put carbon at the top of, of your uh, calcium, rea or calcium reactor on top of your protein skimmer because a lot of that, that gassing off stuff will go through the, the activated carbon and almost immediately be eliminated. Mm -hmm. But on the, on the discharge of, end of your, pro of your protein skimmer, if you run UV on that, UV turbocharges whatever ozone is left and makes it hyper-reactive and then nothing is going to be coming out on the other side of that UV. Gotcha. So that's kind of like a, a little safeguard. Yeah. So in our in our case, we don't really take advantage of that because we're going to to the UV before the protein skimmer. But if you're able to to run it on the output, that'll that'll turbocharge your um, 
your UV performance. Folks, if you want to ask uh, Than some questions, uh, feel free to do so in the chat. I know um, there's been a couple that have been popping up. Uh, Than, one question was, um, what are you guys going to open up to the public? Uh, <laughs> that's like a million-dollar question, isn't it? It's not looking great, y'all. It's not looking great. So part of it, I mean, so there's, it's, it's a multi-tiered thing. It's not just COVID, okay? It's not just COVID. It's more um, complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. So at any given time, the place might be a straight-up construction zone, and it's just simply not something that I want to uh, put people at risk in. Like currently, there's an HVAC project going on, and the upstairs has a good 2,000 square feet taken up just by materials. Oh. Like, yeah, it's like it's a big HVAC project. And so, yeah, like that sort of stuff just happens, and it's, it's been an ongoing thing for like two, three years. The whole place is a work in progress. Like there's a lot of stuff that you can roll your ankle on, you know? <laughs> so yeah, you know, like, you know, like business minded cap here. It's like, I don't want to call my insurance company cause you rolled your ankle sort of thing. Uh, number two, probably COVID. <laughs> um, number three is that our staffing is low, but it's good for what we do currently. Um, and I think that if we had, um, somebody that I could just be like, okay, you are in charge of all the local appointments because we do everything by appointment. We just not, don't have walk-in. Uh, you're in charge of all the appointment keeping. You do all the customer, you know, like front-facing interaction and stuff like that. Blah, blah, blah. That would be wonderful. But we do not have that person. So unless like the perfect person literally falls into my lap, that is just like front of house superstar. <laughs> it might be a little while before we open back up to the public. Gotcha. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, so Jake is wondering what are some corals that Dan thinks people should pay more attention to? That's a good question. Pay more attention to boy. I don't, I mean, there, there's, okay. I'm going to answer it with a little bit of nuance. Okay. At any given time, there's going to be a hot coral that gets attention. Whereas before it never did. Mm. Um, so I don't know how long you've been in the hobby, probably 15 years, maybe. Yeah. Almost 30 years. Almost 30 years. Okay. So in the last five to 10 years, we're the only time that anybody cared about mushrooms. Like like 20, 20 years ago, mushrooms are free. Like nobody cared about mushrooms. Now you can't find any mushroom for like under $30, like wholesale sometimes, like Discosoma, right? The most, like back in the day, trash tier mushrooms were a total laughter. You could get an entire rock for $10. Now every single one is being sold individually at the wholesale level practically. So stuff like that always just will bubble up and become interesting out of nowhere. Uh, I remember at different, at different times, Acropora would go through its hot phase and uh, it would either be $1,000 a frag or it would be some insignificant fuzzy stick sort of thing in the, in the mind of, of the hobbyist. Um, bef- for the longest time, Ganiapora couldn't be kept alive. That yes. should be banned, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like the hot LPS to farm at scale and it's like you know the the thing so i think that every coral will get its time i would say that ones that are being neglected right now entirely that are just not on anybody's mind um 
I would have to probably say like leathers are probably taking the brunt of that right now. Like I think that most people are not really into big toadstools and things like that. I I loved uh, when I used to when I first started keeping a reef tank. I had some some toadstools in my tank, and man, those things are awesome. You know, it's like they, this cool. this big um, you know coral, and I had like clownfish were hosted in one of them, and they just grew like crazy. And then um, I, I was talking about this on on one of my recent live streams. They're um, the yellow Fiji leather corals. Mm-hmm. It's just so awesome. I mean, what a splash of color. How often do you see like a yellow coral like that? I mean, yeah, it's bright canary yellow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think, um, I think also, you know, just kind of some of the old school corals that, um, you know, are, are beautiful, beautiful corals that just don't get a lot of the buzz, you know, these days in, in the, um, in the business, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, in, in terms of marketing hype and in terms of, we're talking about this before the, uh, the, the live stream in terms of the prices for some of these, uh, rags, but there's, there's just so many hidden gems that you could find out there that, you know, maybe, uh, 15, 20 years ago were the, um, the pricier corals out there, but now you can pick up stuff for like, you know, like the milk of stylo. I know Jake's a big, uh, fan of the milk of stylo and, and, you know, just some, some Monteporas like cupping Monteporas are so cool, you know, and, and you could pick, pick some of those up at, at a local fish store for like maybe uh, 10, 15 bucks or something with, without a fancy name attached to it. Um, this kind of like leads me into a topic that I was gonna, I was planning on talking to you a bit later on in the show, but maybe uh, it's got some relevancy now. I'll, I'll ask. Uh, we'll we'll kind of get into it now. So, you you are very well known. I mean, you do an awesome job in terms of the cinematography, the videography, and, and, and your YouTube channel. And and obviously, it's a passion that you've um, developed, and you're really, really, really good at it. What? Um, Thanks. And and you guys do such a great job in terms of representing. You know what you're corals actually look like you know in person you know when your live shows you do the uh, the videos and so it's pretty much like what you see is what you get type of videos for all the corals that you're selling and they're not under like um well what you do is interesting right what you do is you do kind of a you, you span the spectrum of the light to give everybody a good honest depiction of what they're going to be getting based on what they're seeing on that live show right so it goes from full yeah. spectrum to blue and and you're not you're not hiding anything right you're not kind of um creating some sort of um aura about a certain coral that you know is glowing that might not be realistic so i'm i'm kind of curious as to your thoughts in terms of and i'm not going to name any names in terms of vendors out there but um what are your what are your thoughts in terms of what's going on out online and in terms of the misrepresentation that sometimes happens so this is an at its core is an aesthetic hobby and something that is um, shot more beautifully will sell better period if you take a crummy photo you it, it, it will affect your sales all right yeah so my thing my thing when it comes to um like how we're displaying corals, like on our website, even when we're not even the live sale, um, we try to shoot like the, the 10 K versus like Tannic and stuff like that. And then for the actual live thing, it's like, it's like a gradient that you're seeing. It's so cool. And, and a lot of that is, comes down to, um, I like the number one, uh, like 
tr most triggering thing to, to hear from a customer is that they're unhappy with the color that we misrepresented it. Because I think at this point, we've done enough that... Do you get those complaints? It's rare, but it, but no joke, if we, if we get more than one a month, it just ruins my day. <laughs> and I'm not the one that even took the email. Like somebody else took the email and I'm still mad about it. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things. And sometimes it's like the, the customer literally went to Lowe's, found some shop lights and put that over their aquarium. <laughs> and they're unhappy with the color of the coral that they received. That no joke has happened. And at that point, it's like, take it to reef to reef. Show them. <laughs> you can complain about us, you know, like do whatever you need to do. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, so that's that's one thing that I'm just trying to avoid entirely. Like, I hate that conversation. I've always hated that conversation. Uh, so I, I think that, that, our, that our photography and videography is good enough to sell it. So that after that, it becomes a matter of um, reducing customer service friction. Mm. So we don't have to go overboard with, um, with I guess, um, like misrepresenting corals and everything like that and sometimes we we even will tone something down a little bit because um we're using like the tippest of the top end equipment you know we're we're we are shooting with we're shooting with equipment for cameras and stuff like that 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 movie studios and stuff they don't buy this stuff they <laughs> rent this stuff for production but Weird people like me actually bought it for daily use, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, unless you're unless you're looking in our tanks, you know, looking and shooting it with like professional gear, you know, sometimes like a home aquarium ain't gonna look like that. It's just not, you know. It's I, I kind of like bristle at the idea of a professional aquarist, but when you have a you know a staff of people to try to take care of tanks, at some point that's kind of getting professional, you know. When you're paying like, you know living wage to like five people to care for a tank, you know? So, uh, we wanted to also, uh, just get people's, um, you know, expectations in line with, with a range that works because at some point it's like, not everybody's going to have some museum quality tank and they're going to be upset. Well, I mean, I, I applaud what you guys are doing in terms of the representation. You know, um, I think there's a, uh, a couple of comments here about, um, you know, how, how true to the, um, you know, reality that you guys are um, shooting in terms of those videos and the pictures and, and all that stuff. So it's it's refreshing. And, and I think it's a, um, you know, listen, I'm not saying that every uh, online vendor out there is is um, is misrepresenting stuff, but, you know, it's an issue. It's um, it's a problem that um, we all have to deal with. And, and, you know, listen, you're right. You know, you're you invest a lot of money in some really, really high end camera equipment. That will allow you to, um, you know, take more realistic videos and photos of the corals that you guys are selling. So, you know, you made that 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 major investment, and I think that's something that, um, you know, even though uh, other vendors out there probably could afford to make a little bit more investment on that end, the question is, um, like you said, pictures sell. So, will that happen in terms of being more realis realistic versus not? I don't know. Sometimes, uh, and, and unfortunately, this kind of has to come with experience. Um, but there's certain places that we will buy from, and we just kind of have to like have a mental filter 
of what that coral really looks like. It's like it's almost like okay, I the, this cor- this picture of this coral looks amazing, but I know that when I receive it, it's not going to look quite like that. So what would it look like? You know, just 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 given my past experience from purchasing from this particular vendor or something. And it's like okay, so I know that they they've they've juiced it up to to level X. So I need to like you know just bring it back down. To, okay, it might still look pretty good. I mean, some of those yellows they might actually be greens, you know. Some of those reds they might be like orange. At worst, it'll be brown. But so you, you kind of have to to compensate <laughs> to desaturate, I guess. Sean uh, Sean Clark says I have always loved the lighting transition that Tidal Gardens does. Super helpful, um, Marcus Reef. Good, uh, where we go. Good, good pictures are nice. Overly saturated photos are ridiculous. I love when corals actually look like the photos. Title Gardens does great. Oh, thank you guys. Yep. Uh, Rob, upstate New York. Thank you so much for the uh, super chat. You both do great work. Appreciate the uh, the comment. Um, Van nailed it with the built-in uh, mental visual filter for the shot coral pics. Yeah. You know, the thing is, I, I still purchase it. It's just that I, I, I just, you have to set your expectations. It's like sometimes, oh, I do have to say one thing though. Um, when it comes to SPS specifically, acro guys, right? Acro guys know this. Everything you're going to get in the mail is going to be brown. Like straight up. Just lose the, a little color it, in transition. Exactly. Sometimes it loses a lot of color. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and this is this is especially for like the the high end SPS boutiques, right? And so I'm I'm protecting you guys out there. Okay, <laughs> I will educate your customers for you. <laughs> it is totally normal to get brown Acropora. That I guarantee you, when that person bagged that stuff up, it was looking fire. Okay, <laughs> but that 24 hours will turn that thing brown, and it will stay brown for three months. But trust me, you probably did get exactly what it is you hoped. It's just going to take some time. <laughs> well said. Uh, Stories Reef, thank you so much for the super chat. Than when shooting corals that close up, imperfections can easily show up. So I commend you guys for doing that. Top notch show, Keith. Thank you very much, Rashid there. Stories Reef. Um, just looking at some more of the uh, the comments. So, you know, and, and that's the thing about uh, Acropora SPS. I find that they're so resilient. So even if you do get, um, you know, some that come in, uh, get get browned out or, or lighten up in terms of their color, if you've got a healthy system and a healthy tank, they will rebound and they will return to their original glory if they have the right uh, conditions to do so. They're just very, very resilient. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, I'm just thinking like, uh, there, there's definitely some some, some acropora that that can get kind of can get kind of finicky. Oh yeah, for sure the um, the smooth skin. So I mean, I, I guess I, I I've heard your perspective though before, where they say, you know what, acropora is actually easy. It's like, is it though? I mean, we've been doing it for like over thirty years. <laughs> it's like it's going to be easy for us. Oh. But I think that like somebody just off the street, they're going to do something. They're going to do a small mistake that you and I would never do, never think to do, and that's going to cost them all their acros. All right, so that that tees it up to the good question here, Than. Uh, for for the acropora folks out there, what would you say would be your top three most important things to have success with uh, with SPS? Oh, okay. Uh, 
it's it's going to sound like a broken record, but uh, the number one thing for me would be the the st- stability of the tank parameters for a long period of time. Yes. So, like the the more mature tank with the most stable chemistry, that's a very 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 good baseline to start with. Uh, lighting matters a lot, especially with some of these these higher end acros. Um, they, for example, like we, we've kind of talked about home records and Walt Disney's and stuff like that. To get that very specific coloration, that will require very specific lights. And if you're just not at that light tier, you're not going to get those results. And I think lastly, um, it's kind of a tie between a really good flow which is obviously important, but boring. Um, I would say feeding. Uh, we started feeding uh, amino acids again. Once we, once we set our baseline, once we're happy with everything, and now we're pumping food into them, the polyp extension that we're getting looks ridiculous. Oh, really? Ridiculous. So uh, we spent a small fortune on amino acids, and um, they were, it's worth it. <laughs> Those results are just like it's the the nice thing about setting that baseline, and uh, and and maintaining that for a long enough time is that once you start tweaking, these things become super obvious to you if there is a change. And after we had set the baseline and we started into the amino acids, the difference took less than seventy two hours before we started to see big 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 differences. What are you guys using so, for aminos? So currently we are using. Um, Aquavitro fuel, but we just got a sampler of another product, so we will see how that goes. Yeah, I, you know, Sorry, I no, no, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh no, no, I'm done. I'm good. You know, I've um, never really had much luck with aminos. I, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled here or there. You know, I've not used them for an extended period of time, and when I'm use them i've gotten like cyano or i've just not seen any results so you know i'm just a big proponent of feeding my fish a lot and and letting the uh, the fish poop um you know do its thing but um you know listen that's not to say that uh that's the only way to uh to skin this cat so i think there's a lot of um which product did you use do you remember i'm not going to mention that product (laughs) okay it's like which 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 one caused cyan no um but uh, because probably we, pro- probably that person was a guest on the show at one point in time, so I'm not going to okay. burn that bridge. <laughs> so, cyano is a weird thing because um, you can be doing everything right and get cyano. You could be doing everything wrong and not get cyano. It's 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 one of those things. I, I I'm I'm kind of mystified by it sometimes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um. So. You mentioned in one of your videos, you just kind of triggered a, um, a question to me here. You mentioned in one of your videos that there's a lot of um, problematic algae, different types of problematic problematic algae. Those are easy problems to solve. I think those were, for the most part, what you were saying is that, you know, cyano or uh, dinos or um, other types of problematic algae are easy problems to solve. How do you guys solve those problems in terms of making it easy do you believe in good old hard elbow grease do you use chemicals every now and then where you're uh i think at different times we've done it all um i would say that the absolute most effective thing is to have um like an effective 
group of herbivores that that do the the herbivorous action differently from one another um and as long as there is like you you maintain that that positive pressure on the on the algae growth uh over time it just goes away on its own eventually then it gets overtaken by stuff that's not particularly appealing to those herbivores like coralline algae yeah. and so now it's now it's getting suffocated by a direct competitor um but in order sometimes for for those herbivores to to be able to to get a foothold that's where the elbow grease comes in if you're relying on your elbow grease to maintain the problem entirely you're going to fail it's not going to work out that well for you but it's it's a great way to um to kind of uh, give a, a blank palette upon which these things can then get a foothold because a lot of like the herb, herbivores and stuff like that they don't like to eat full grown trees <laughs> they like to eat like you know the, the fresh little offshoots and so it's it's up to you to get rid of the trees and then let them kind of graze down the the, the new growth as much as possible um but yeah by all means like let your let your organisms do all the real work i've also found that <clears throat> if you can manage detritus siphon it out blow it off the rocks and whatnot on a regular basis that that goes a long way in terms of solving a lot of issues oh for sure for sure, and I uh, I came up with a little hack. There, and I I, should, I, should, I wish I could have throw the Amazon affiliate link in here, but it's the uh, it's it's a it's a powered like air duster for like a keyboard. Okay. Okay. So it serves two great purposes. One, it gives you an air duster right by all your lights that you're never blowing off anyway, so you can blow off your lights, right? But it came with this one attachment. It's a three quarter inch brush. So it's kind of like, oh, you're supposed to brush your keyboard with it while it blows air, right? But it's the perfect size for a three-quarter inch flexible hose. You stick that thing in there, and suddenly you have like this vacuum brush hmm. that siphons. Wow. And so you just take that thing and you brush your rocks with it while while siphoning. And you, you kick up all that detritus, but none of it really gets into the, into the water column because it's all getting yeah. directly sucked right there. Wow. And um, once we kind of just discovered that little uh, little reef hack, um, it made cleaning detritus off the rocks and off the bottom so easy. And it, since it's a three-quarter inch tube, um, it, it doesn't clog very yeah, readily or anything like that. And yeah, it just – so our 600-gallon tank, it takes like 40 minutes a month to clear up all the detritus. It's nothing. Wow. Yeah. Now your um, the six hundred gallon tank is looking great. I know um, you you you, you, you talked about the, um, the the giant amount of hair algae that you guys had, the ginormous amount of um, hair algae, and you just I think you put a whole bunch of uh, herbivores tanks right right in the uh, in the tanks from Fox Face. And snails are the biggest deal. Snails yeah. just kind mm -hmm. of like attack that stuff. But um, yeah. So what um, in, in terms of that tank? How long has that tank been up now? Uh, over a year. Over a year. Would, would you guys have done anything differently with that tank, knowing what you know now? or Would we have done anything differently? Hmm, good question. Um, nothing no, nothing mind-blowing. Um, no, not really. 
No, no, I mean, like honestly, nothing really comes to mind. I think I- any real change we would have done would have been like a system over overhaul sort of change, not specifically to the aquarium itself. Um, I would say that we underestimated how much flow we needed. So we're running four closed loops plus the return, and we had to add on top of that. So the original baseline plan was four closed loops. So those are Ecotech Vectra L2 pumps, the biggest yeah. pumps that they make. Four of those plus a return from an Abyss A400. So a lot of a lot of water flow in this tank, and we found it still necessary to add six powerheads at least to that mix. Yeah, I um, when I started up my uh, Peninsula tank, I've got a 225-gallon uh, Peninsula tank that's been r- up and running for over a year now, <clears throat> and it's a um, six foot long by 36 inches wide by 20 inches tall. I, li- I like the 20-inch tall uh, height. I think that's what the height of your uh, – you've got a – It's 24. 24, okay, yeah. Maybe, maybe your uh, your new frag tanks are 20 inches tall. I can't remember what was 20 inches tall. Um, yeah, but um, – so I, I ended up having to add more flow to uh, to that tank because it's, it's an SPS-dominant um, tank. And that's – you know, that's a challenge in terms of a peninsula tank, but I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not as gutsy as you guys in terms of using those closed loops. I, those scare me. <laughs> ball, ball. Uh, they leak. They, they do. Deal. So I mean, we, we had to go back through and we had to tighten uh, bulkheads and stuff like doesn't that. Doesn't that scare you? No, actually, it, it doesn't because um, I know what it looks like when they leak now, and the idea that oh, it could drain out your whole tank. It's like you're more likely to literally evaporate the entire 600 gallons before <laughs> that would be a problem. I mean, it's it's just not. So hold, you're not you're not scared of like tightening that bulkhead and cracking that glass and and. You know, just uh, not knowing exactly what. I'm cracking that glass with a hammer. You're probably right because it's what? Like how, how thick is that glass? Three quarter inch. Three quarter inch. Yeah. You wish you could crack it with your hands. <laughs> you wish you could hit it with a truck, maybe. <laughs> so you you mentioned that you're adding an eighth uh, system, and you've got a whole bunch of um, custom made frag tanks in your last video. You you, you talked a lot about that, um, and you you you're using your third custom tank builder any any reason why you guys are on your third custom tank builder or is it just circumstance it, it all comes down to um to it's like price and time frame and this and that like so a, a lot of it just comes down to um because every tank builder by the way their calendar is full for a really long yeah. time uh, i think our first tank builder i mean it took us like 18 months or something Whoa. like that to get to, it was a, it was a while yeah. I don't even remember. It was a while. Um, the second tank builder was faster, um, but the price point between them and this one was was substantially different. Um, and I, because th- like the, the the build quality, it's all going to be pretty similar. I think that if you said, "Hey, who built this tank?" It's they're all per- they're all very very close. Um, but a lot of it is just about. You know, availability, time frame, delivery, like all the all the logistics, boring stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if anybody were to order, so I'll just tell you who they are. The first one's Reef Builder, Reef Builders. <laughs> Sorry about that, Jake. Is a uh, Reef Savvy, Reef Builders. <laughs> um, the, Jake is going to be getting all these calls about custom aquariums now. Uh, second one uh, was, uh, I think they're called. Ocean Life Aquariums. The guy's name is Derek Henry, and uh, so he made like the top shelf aquatics as tanks. And then the ones that I went with most recently was um, Exotic Aquariums, 
and they did the query names for World Wide Worlds. And um, if you guys know who like Rico is, Rico's aquariums, he got uh, an aquarium from them at some point. I think that he eventually sold that one. But uh, yeah, so that's Karen and Bob at Exotic Aquariums. And so yeah, if, if, you, if anybody like wants uh, a custom aquarium, any of those people will do like a great job. What, um, what advice do you have for somebody that's looking into um, getting a custom aquarium? Any, any uh, things that uh, folks should be you know, keeping top of mind when ordering a custom aquarium? Any, any features that you like more than others? Features that I like. I, uh, I would say that the really nice thing about custom aquariums is that you can specify uh, like the size of drains and things like yeah. that. So um, I, I, these custom aquariums spoiled me, man. Because when I started to buy some just off-the-shelf aquariums just to like do for, like a fish quarantine and stuff, I was like, oh, that's what everybody else does. Okay. <laughs> All right. I understand how glass tanks break now, yeah. that sort of thing. Like these things spoiled the heck out of me. Uh, and then, then when I got into like some like off-the-shelf, you know, premium quality tanks, it's like even then it's like, boy, I, there's, there's a big difference between custom and this even like top dollar off the, off the shelf stuff. And a lot of it comes down to um, like your choice of plumbing fittings and stuff like that. Uh, I, I like to have at least inch and a half drains. I like big thick Euro bracing. Um, I like uh, like vertical seams and uh, and inner seams on on all the major uh, contact points. Like stuff like just just overbuild the heck out of it. So one of the stores in town, they do a lot of acrylic fabrication, and he's always talking about how acrylic is superior to glass. He doesn't say that, but he does. Uh, and he's always talking about how, like, glass tanks, it's not a matter of if they will fail. It is when they will fail. It is Because it is just silicone holding these glass panels back. And I'm like, I agree. But I want that failure point to be after I'm dead. So I'm building these tanks in mind to outlive any catastrophe. <laughs> For the next 30 years so that that's kind of like the sort of stuff i go for is like the the overbuilt over capacity everything monster sized stuff that's kind of what i like about custom i i agree with you you know um all my display tanks my two display tanks are custom but i also have three frag tanks that are custom um glass tanks and you know i i, I just have not been able to find a um um a manufacturer that produces you know um that mass produces aquariums to have the kind of aquarium that I like. And I think one of the things that, um, I like a lot that, um, is only what, you know, you can only get with a custom tank. I, I like to have a wide tank and you're not going to see a wide mm. tank for the most part with a, um, you know, off the shelf tank manufacturers, you know, so I, it's, it's the dimensions part that I like to play around with in terms of getting to where, you know, my happy place. But I also agree with you. I think your bracing is a great thing to have, you know. It's so practical. It's so utilitarian. Yes. And so, you know, I just, I, I put, I, I put stuff on there in terms of when I'm fragging stuff or just, um, you know, um, scrape or whatever, you know, it's just so easy to have that little thing. And plus, you know, when you have a lot of flow in an SPS tank, really does help to kind of keep the water in the tank the eurobrazing it helps keep fish in yes it does they're, they're, yeah and, and nowadays guys now that fish are like worth their weight in gold <laughs> and, and and people are becoming now more appreciative or, or more aware of like 
uh, like fish disease, because like, I mean, we we really are scared of like introducing fish disease to our systems, because it's so difficult to get fish now, that the worst thing that you could have is this like you buy some little random damsel, and it transmits something to your entire system, and you you just lose all your all, all your fish. Like now you can't get back. Like I I was looking at somebody's um like a a big fish wholesalers, uh, product list. And I think they had like a total of 300 fish available, like 300 total wow. fish, not types of fish, like fish, period. And I was like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem. So, because like I, I'm, I'm out here trying to buy copper bands. There's no copper bands on anybody's list, it seems. Really? Yeah. And on top of that, they're very difficult to, to quarantine and everything. So about a month ago, one of them jumped out of my tank and it's like, I am so heartbroken right now. Because I don't know if I can replace you, you know, <laughs> to, to get a healthy one in that wouldn't get bullied by my tanks as established as eating aptase or whatever. It's like those things you just can't get anymore. And so I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm big on the keep fish in the in the tank. <laughs> Euro bracing helps. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I also like external overflow boxes. That's a big thing for me too. And um, you don't see a lot of those with the uh, mass produced tanks. So uh, Michael Baldwin asked this question a while ago, but it's uh, actually pretty relevant in terms of you just mentioned fish. Than what happened to the fish quarantine you were doing last year? Are you still doing that? Still doing that. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit it. It's like fish are a problem for me. Like I am not like the fish whisperer out here. Like I, I have a really, really hard time bringing in really healthy stock and getting it through quarantine. Like I, I it's one of those things where it's like, a fish will just die in quarantine. I'm like, why are you dead? It's, I, I literally just put you into like a, so we kind of go overboard on a lot of stuff. Our fish quarantine is no joke. It's, it's, it's actually pretty good. And still we were losing stuff yeah. like here and there. It's so frustrating. And, and, and stuff like, um, from what I understand with, uh, just like using like a medication like Prozipro, which from everything I've heard is like super mild. It's like uh, we have like maybe like a dozen fish in there. They're doing great after about three days. And it's like, okay, it's time to do the Prozipro. As soon as we do it, three of them are dead the next morning. It's like, what the heck? (laughs) And, you know, we're aerating. We're over aerating the water and all this stuff. It's like when it comes to fish, I am just not your guy. So it's, it's always I always get tickled when like when people say, hey, can you like buy an expensive fish for me and you just quarantine it? And I'll just pay whatever. I'm like, no. <laughs> You're not going to be responsible for I'm that. Just, I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> I guarantee I'm going to mess it up. What about um, coral? What kind of quarantine system do you guys have for corals? Yeah, we uh, actually now have one, two. We have three quarantine tanks all, all separated out. Um, and we go through and, and we break down those tanks periodically to try to like uh, – to eliminate anything that might be growing in the pipes or anything like that. Um, but we are getting, um, like a lot more hypervigilant on, on treating, um, our old tanks out in the greenhouse, because, you know, if you can imagine though, those, those greenhouse tanks have been running continuously for, uh, 12 years yeah, at least. Long time. And yeah, it's like, like stuff like stuff you think might be um might have been defeated will make a resurgence if given the opportunity 
And we, we learned that from when we uh, would start like a brand new, like a, we would completely empty a tank out of there. and So it's all in segments. And when you restart this brand new sterile tank is when there's like no um, like thriving ecosystem yet. It's when like the weird stuff like has an opportunity to, to show back up. And so it's like, okay, we just have to assume that stuff is in this tank. So we want to go through and basically like um, napalm everything. <laughs> so we are trying some serious hardcore treatments on just everything. Because we just, even though we don't see a problem necessarily, it's like, I'm just going to have to assume that there is a yeah. problem. And scorch earth everything. Because uh, there, there's just stuff that we're just so sick of. And... We're trying to like make sure that, that that doesn't get into the new systems, but I know that it's uh, largely at scale, at commercial scale. It's just a matter of time, but I, I at least want a process to be able to treat all of our systems if need be, and that's uh, that's always like the, the the big concern. Like, um, and I, I've seen like wonderful facilities that are super diligent, and they all have the same sort of problems that we have. And I know that it's not from any lack of trying on any of our parts. I just think that at scale, nobody has it completely figured out yet. And I don't think I don't know if, even know if it's something that you can't figure out. It's just like uh, pests are called pests for a reason. It's not because they are bad at what they do. They're very, very, very good at what they do. They survive everything. And so yeah, it's it's, it's a tough battle, but. You know, we try our best. What um, What's your protocol for racco-eating flatworms to try to, like, keep those things out of the system? I mean, do you... Uh, we found a great product. Not sponsored, y'all. Not sponsored. It's called uh, Anticipate with a number eight. It's made by... Um, um, I guess it's Chris Brightwell. That's what I, think, I guess that's what he goes by. Um yeah, so Chris Brightwell, and I don't know, the, I don't know the name of the company, but it has a whole bunch of like number eights in yeah. it. So there's like there's like anticipate, there is activate and stuff like that. So anyway, he started. Are you talking the, about captivate he, aquaculture? Is it? I don't know. It might be. I know they. I know he's it got could, a lot of eights in his products. So <laughs> okay, that, that 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 might be him. Um, so he formulated that at ACI. Oh, okay, Chris. yeah, that's who you're talking about. And. Right. And so their dip that they made, okay, is like a insta-kill for a lot of problem pests. Mm. Like instant. I mean, because uh, uh, if you dip uh, like an acro, let's say, in Coral RX, it takes like a good 15 minutes sometimes for um, the flatworms to dislodge from the acro. And it's really kind of more like stunning them. This stuff, it's you put it in there in like two seconds. Those things are dead. Oh, really? So you don't have to like leave, leave it in there for 10, 15 minutes? Okay, funny, funny thing you mentioned that. Like for us, we have bad results when we dip it for, for 10, 15 minutes. But Chris does it for 15 minutes and it's fine. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to reconcile these experiences. So we literally swish it for a few seconds and gone. Like everything just falls off dead. If there, if there was anything, it's so like... So the key question, and this is the question I was thinking too, and Jake is asking it, and this is all caps, does it kill the eggs? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Probably not. <laughs> like, no, e eggs are also really good at what yeah. they do. They don't die. <laughs> uh, so th there's, like, there's an, another product that we're uh, interested in trying. It's called... It's the Funamarine stuff called... 
I think it's like A E F W. Oh yes, 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 yes. I heard talk about. And from what I understand, I, I, they, they just on the on the packaging, it just says it's it's capsaicin and water. Not a lot of information. Not a lot of uh, forthcoming information on the uh, packaging, right? Right. Yeah. And so capsaicin, guys, if you don't know, that's just like hot sauce. It's like the thing that that, that is spicy in hot <laughs> sauce. Okay. So it's just like capsaicin extract and then pepper spray. You know, that's usually capsaicin, right? They're um, gonna burn burn them. And, well, it sterilizes them, so it doesn't even necessarily kill them. From what I from what I read, it it interrupts their breeding cycle. So after thirty days, these sterile flatworms age to death, and they didn't reproduce. So I I haven't tried that, but I'd like to to pick up like a couple of bottles and, and try it on a system and to see if it works or something like that. But yeah, when it comes to, when it comes to, um, a lot of the really bad pests. So the, the, my list of really bad pests would include like Montipore eating nudie yeah. Bronx, Acropore eating flatworms. It's the eggs are invincible. Right. They're just, they, they survive everything. So, and I don't, I don't even include the stuff that's kind of like a nuisance because those things are like, yeah, they're, they're, they're more of a pest for you than it is for the coral. It's like, well, Tasia, Tasia, or, yeah, yeah that, that's like, I mean, yeah, sure. It'll sting a coral or like sure. Vermitted snails are like kind of gross and stuff, but that's more of like a, a, a you pest than it is a, this thing is actively eating yeah. your coral. If you don't do something about it, you will lose your coral period at the end of this. So when you get new stuff in, do you do um, like a six-week quarantine, dip weekly, that sort of thing? You know, what's the typical yeah. protocol for you guys? Yeah, so I think uh, like our official is probably like seventy-two days, probably. But oftentimes it's it, it goes a little bit longer than that, even because um, we sometimes like would even like leave it a little while before we even start into the dipping. Into well, so we we dip everything before it comes right. in. But then, like to to do the active uh, prophylactic dipping, um, we sometimes even wait a little bit to make sure that stuff looks healthy before we start to to really like go after stuff. Um, but we do like dips in in um, a number of different products. So we use um, the Bayer slash BioAdvanced stuff. We use now we use this uh, Anticipate. Um, I, I guys. I, I'm not just like gassing them up for no reason. <laughs> that stuff is different. It is just really different. But you also have to like really rinse the stuff after you're done. I would oh, even yeah. suggest like two or three stages after that because I think that some of the the problems that we were having is we weren't rinsing it well enough. And I think that we're like, that we're probably going to go to start. Um, in addition to the the more rinsing, we're probably going to then run activated carbon as well, uh, because I think that's like that's the bigger concern. Because because when it comes to killing the pest part, it's really you know you mentioned uh, you mentioned bear. I'm off bear. Um, do you know um, Ty Farmer Ty's frags? I had him on the show. Oh, don't so. okay. Um, he um, he turned me on to um, potassium chloride and. Um, so basically, if you have a, a water softener, it's the stuff that you mm -hmm. would put into your water softener um, um, container to help soften the water. So it's just you could basically buy a forty-pound bag for about forty or fifty bucks, and it's almost like a lifetime supply. 
which, okay. um, you know, so you got to grind up the, the large, um, you know, nuggets of potassium chloride into a powder form. But um, I've been using that as a dip. And it's, uh, you know, the, the great thing about that versus using bear, and I don't know what the um, um, the captive uh, ADAC culture uh, product, if that's clear or not, but the great thing about this potassium chloride is that it is a clear solution. So if you do put the frags mm. in, you could see what's popping off of that thing, and nice. which is huge. And you cannot with bear. Right. Yeah. With bear, you don't know. You really don't know. And, and bear definitely causes cancer. I would not be surprised. It's got some bad <laughs> stuff in it. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I could, I could also actually see the flatworms disintegrating. When I take a turkey baster and blow, you can actually see the, the flatworm okay. just breaks apart with this stuff. And is it is, it's gentle on the coral? Oh, yeah. I, I dip for like 30 minutes. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. And I've heard of people like actually forgetting that they've had their coral in the potassium chloride dip for like a couple hours and it, it still survives. So the, so, so the dip is, is potassium chloride mixed in with salt water. I Tank say. water. Yep. Yeah. Tank water. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Um, I'll have to look at that. I'm actually putting a video so, out on it uh, this week. I just uh, did a little quick video update on it. But um, yeah. I wonder if it's at all similar to that product by Polyp Lab, um, their reef primer dip. Cause I know that those are potassium salts. That is uh, kind of a key thing going on in there and i know that like we've had some pretty good success using that product yeah i'm telling you Than man like, get... look, look at all these look at all these companies getting some free press <laughs> i'm telling you guys get a free one i'm telling time. you man just get a 40 40 pound bag of this potassium chloride and you're good to go for a couple of years <laughs> I'll, I'll have to i'll have to give that a try yeah no it's um it's it's killer uh, in many ways and uh, more ways than one um listen than it's um it's Getting on to eight thirty here. I don't want to like uh, monopolize your time. I I, um, I really appreciate you you spending some more time with us. This has been uh, been a lot of fun. I know a lot of folks um, have been enjoying the conversation and, and have gotten a lot out of it. Any uh, any final words there, Than? Before we uh, sign off? No, I'm just like I'm just uh, gonna get ready for my weekend here. I'm gonna be going to Orlando. So if any of you guys are gonna be attending Aquashella, you can come and hang out can probably talk more like this stuff <laughs> or at least just come and say hi uh so yeah i uh Aquashella, um i think jake is going to be a speaker there so jake will be there uh i'm dragging becca along cool. so if any of you guys want to meet becca <laughs> uh you can, you can talk to her so yeah it'll be a good time um yeah pretty much that that's an, an l uh, to be completely self-serving, we're having a flash sale this weekend too. While while I'm away, and so instead of me doing a YouTube show, we're having a flash sale on the website. So if you guys want some some cheaper corals, there you go. Get me <laughs> yeah, forgot to forgot to like uh, to yeah to juice up my own brand. There. No, so plug away, man. Plug away. Uh, that that is totally cool. Are you gonna are you guys gonna be um, at Macna in, in September? Uh, wait a minute. Is is that the Atlanta one or is that a different one? Milwaukee, right? Milwaukee. Milwaukee, isn't that in Milwaukee? Okay. I, maybe I'm, I'm getting confused. I thought there was like a a show in Atlanta. Um, so maybe. Yeah. I I, I typically don't plan uh, trips that quite that far out, but that that might be interesting. Um, out of curiosity, are there any um like companies like close by to there? In Milwaukee. Uh, you got Bulk yeah. Reef Supply. It's close by. BRS is up BRS there. is uh, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. 
Yep. So they're they're pretty close okay. by. Yeah. Could be exclusive to visit yeah. BRS. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. No, like uh, I, I I'm trying to like nail down like all the all the different shows. I want to attend one um, Reefa Palooza. I'm thinking of going to the New York oh, one. I'll be there. Oh yeah. yeah? I, I, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I, th I think New York is like the the inside track. And I was thinking about doing something on, on the West Coast, but. Um, that is a little trickier, but yeah, we'll see. All right, cool. Well, listen, Dan, thank you, man, so much for uh, for coming on again. Love to have you back um, in the future for another live stream. So, I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, you guys. So, all right, folks, that's going to do it for this show. I want to give my uh, sincere thanks to Dan for being on. I also want to thank Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for being a sponsor and supporting the show. Thanks to those folks out there that did the super chats and all you folks participating in the chat. Really, really appreciate it. Um, just also want to remind you that all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum are now available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And finally, if you'd like to recommend a guest for the show and it can't be yourself, then uh, please uh, DM me on Instagram. I'd love to uh, get any suggestions for future guests on the show. My next live stream is going to be next Thursday, March 3rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Jason Brown, also known as Unorthodox Reef. I had the uh, oddball reefer on, now I'm having the Unorthodox Reef on. So should be another great show. Until then, be safe, be well. Later. <laughs>